Anyone who's listened to me for a while has heard me talk about revival, whether it's the East African revival, the Great Awakening Cuba has experienced over the past couple of decades, or now what's recently taken place in Asbury. The thing is, I believe the Lord uses the gathering and the praying of believers like this to bring about long-standing movements that can often go on for generations after a first prayer meeting. Well, today I'd like to explore some of these historic movements of God with an author, a pastor, as well as the host of the new documentary called Revival, The Work of God. His name is Jeremy Walker. You'll hear from him in just a moment on this episode of The Great Stories Podcast. But first, I'd like to invite you to listen to our previous episode as well. I spoke with the seminary students across the street from Asbury University who had been boldly praying for revival since 2019. That and more content related to Asbury is available on our website, haventoday.org, where you can also get Jeremy Walker's DVD called Revival. Just make your gift online, and we'll send it out as our way of saying thanks for your support of this All About Jesus ministry. And now, I want you to meet Jeremy Walker. It's an outpouring of the Spirit among God's people to change the normal life into a supernatural life. An individual and a collective Spirit-empowered hunger for God's Word and indeed looking through God's Word to God Himself. God's ordinary work of His Spirit magnified. Their lives were changed dramatically by the sovereign act of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. To read their sermons is to catch a glimpse of lightning over the hills. What must it have been then to stand under the thunder of God's holy word? The truth of the gospel that is preached comes with enormous conviction during awakening times. They were men of tremendous prayer. They wrestled with God. That's, that's what they had over us, generally today, more than anything else. When the Spirit of God was at work, people of all ages and stages of life became profoundly concerned about true religion, eternal things, and their own souls. They had been cavalier, been living frivolously, and they suddenly were gripped with a fear of God. As uh, there's a greater hunger for the Word, as the Word is opened, as people's eyes are opened, this then has a ripple effect. The miners were having prayer meetings down the pits. The lifestyles of men were being transformed beyond all recognition. We must have God's priorities at heart if we are to see the work of the Spirit in our midst. When God does great things in his church, Satan becomes more active. Nothing more incenses Satan than seeing Christians being invaded by the power of God, causing them to live in a new way. As so often, the light followed a time of darkness. At least, the darkness looked all the worse because of the light that followed. It's an ideal time for God to move. The glory goes to him because the church is weak. The nation is worldly. People need to know that this happens and can happen. 
and that we're living for the most part at a very low level. You met God on Meadow and Moorland. You met him in the homes of the people. God seemed to be everywhere. What was that? Revival! Revival! Welcome to Haven Today, and uh, that is a little bit from a documentary called Revival, The Work of God. I'm on the west coast of North America. Charles Morris is my name, but let's go uh, to outside London and uh, somebody that we've had on the program a few years ago, and uh, he actually wrote and helped to produce Revival, The Work of God, Jeremy Walker. You're a pastor, uh, you're a presenter, maybe the BBC will hire you still. Welcome uh, back to Haven today. Thank you, Charles. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's very interesting that we have this documentary that you have produced because revival is something that I think every Christian I've ever met yearns for. And yet, I'm going to ask you the question, what is revival? The working definition that we've uh, tried to encapsulate and explain in the documentary is that revival is the ordinary work of God, but carried out to an extraordinary degree, uh, perhaps extraordinary pace, extraordinary power. So in one sense, it is not new. In another, it is wonderfully new. There's a new freshness, a new force, but it is with regard to the things that God always does. And revival, Jeremy, isn't it something that I think of revival, think of revival in my own life. Um, it comes in seasons, doesn't it? It's not always prolonged for us. Correct. And, and I think I think it's important to, uh, to see it in, in a biblical framing. Yes. For example... Uh, often revival is is something that uh, we can whip up or thought to be something that we can whip up, that man can generate, uh, mm -hmm. that we have a certain kind of meeting or a certain kind of structure. Um, there's a, well, it's, it's, it's not really a joke, but I, uh, it, it sometimes reads like one, a, a meeting in which the descent of the Holy Ghost is scheduled after the third hymn or something like that. But revival, scripturally speaking, and and the clue, if you like, is in the name itself, that revival is not the giving of life to that which is dead. It is the stirring of life in that mm. which is alive in some measure, but perhaps has lost a measure of energy and vigor. So revival is not something that happens to those terrible people out there. Revival is God by his spirit stirring the hearts of the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ so that the life that they have is uh, enriched, enlivened, intensified. And so let's dig into a revival here to see what that looks like. And I must say, we're also, correct me if I'm wrong, you're talking about revival as something that can lead people to Christ, but for those who already know Christ, they can have revival as well. Am I reading you correctly in the way you're taking that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd almost put that the, the other way around. Um, okay. So uh -huh. that, uh, as you've mentioned, revival 
can be seasonal, episodic. Uh, there are some men who, in their ministry, they've known a, a brief period of this kind of unusual, a distinctive heavenly favor. Other men have known it for the entirety of their ministries. Sometimes God works in a particular place or region, and it seems like all the men and churches in that area are, are touched by the same sense of heavenly reality at the same time. But as you've sort of hinted there, Charles, revival begins in the church. Revival is when God, by his spirit, stirs, enlivens, sometimes rebukes the church of Jesus Christ. There's an, a more immediate sense of the presence of God with us. So the preaching comes with unusual power. God's people are often convinced of their sin in a way that they haven't been before. They're humbled before the Lord. They cry out to him. God draws near to them. We draw near to him. And one of the wonderful consequences of a revived church is that the gospel then begins to uh, overflow uh, and spread into the world. So it's revived Christians who have this mm -hmm. wonderful effect and influence Really, the people around begin to take notice of the fact that God is with his people and they can't deny that because of that newfound vitality and spiritual power among the saints. And what we've talked about up until now, Jeremy, is more on a theoretical level. Let's dig into what you cover. What was the first Christian revival? which you do mention in the documentary, but then we'll get into some detail of a later revival, which you do emphasize a little bit more. Well, we would really trace the kind of spiritual dynamism that we're talking about back to Pentecost. What we believe always happens in the Church of Jesus Christ is the, the mighty and merciful power of God by the Holy Spirit drawing attention to, exalting and elevating the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that always running through the life of the church. But there are these particular seasons where God and his mercy seems to draw near in a distinctive way. Sometimes we use that language of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the, the, the first great demonstration of that is when the ascended Christ pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And mm -hmm. uh, there is that wonderful work in which the gospel is preached with power. Men and women come under conviction of sin. They cry out, what must I do to be saved? They're pointed to Jesus Christ. But it's those Christians who are in the upper room. They're, they're waiting, they're praying, they're pleading with God. And then God in his, with power works by them and among them. They themselves know a, a new measure of uh, conviction, delight in God, and out of that, the gospel is proclaimed. Mm. So let's take that from the first century. Let's fast forward to the documentary that you've produced mm -hmm. and we have for our listeners. Tell us a story. People like stories. Why don't you recount for us a revival that's taken place uh, that you cover in this documentary. How did it start? How did the Lord use this uh, in the culture, too, as well? So first personally, and then also culturally. Well, let me, let me give you one example of a certain kind of revival. 
because again okay. we've talked about these these different aspects these different opportunities sometimes for example you see a man who has a long ministry and it's like laying the kindling and then another man comes along and god uses him to light the fire and it takes root uh, but the example I, i'd like to use uh, it's a striking one uh, involves a, a young man in scotland at a place called kirkershots mm. his name is john livingston you can go to the the same spot today not the same building any longer the kirk or church of shots and uh if you see the landscape, you can really visualize the this, this story that I'm about to tell. Because John Livingston at the time was a, a young man. He was 27 years old, and they were at a Scottish communion service, which uh, in Scotland at that time and still in some circles today lasts a number of days. So there are preparation sermons and there are communion sermons. And John Livingston was asked if he would preach an additional sermon on the Monday at the end of the communion season. And he was really burdened by this sense of responsibility, felt himself too young, ill-equipped, mm. spent most of the night pleading with God, um, really actually thought about just running away so that they wouldn't find mm. him when the time came, uh, but became persuaded as, as he prayed and others prayed with him that this was a duty that God had given him, a responsibility and an opportunity. So he went back on this Monday and he preached from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 26. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now he preaches on that text for 90 minutes. Hmm. And uh, at that point, uh, re remember, this is a Scottish summer. And so typically for a Scottish summer, this is the point at which a storm rolls in. So a <laughs> storm rolls in. And again, if you've got a sense of the landscape, you can imagine it sweeping in maybe from the coast and, and climbing the hill toward where the people are gathered around him. And the rain begins to fall and the people will begin to sort of turn up their, their coats and their cloaks because uh, the rain has begun to come down upon them. And uh, Livingston uh, sort of pauses and says, you're so quickly bothered by the rain. You're so quick to shelter yourselves from a few drops. What will it be like for you when the judgment of God falls upon you? And Livingston, at that moment, both he and the people to whom he's preaching, there's an almost immediate sense of spiritual reality that grips them. Mm. And mm. Uh, he, he says... He reminds them that though the judgment is due to come, the door of mercy still stands open for such as you are. And he calls them to understand that the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ are the lone defense from that storm of divine wrath. And none but those who come to Christ just as they are, empty of everything and take the offered mercy at his hand will have the benefit of this shelter. Now, bear in mind that mm. he's already been preaching for 90 minutes. Mm. He gets, if you like, a spiritual second wind, preaches for another hour, helped by the Holy Spirit in a particular way. And it was later estimated that 500 people came to faith in Jesus Christ as a consequence of that one sermon. Mm. Now, what's interesting in Livingston's case is the next time he preached, he said he knew a little of the same kind of heavenly help 
And I think it was the time after that, he said he preached like a man standing alone. So really, in Livingston's case, it was almost one distinct sermon. And he Mm. knew unusual assistance at that one period and never really knew the same afterwards. The reason why I refer to, to Livingston, John Livingston at Kirker Shots, is that in Scotland and in other places, very often that becomes something of a paradigm. And people look back to that and they say, Lord, we want something of that with us. And so you have other occasions when people have been pleading with God for the blessing like Livingston had at Kirker Shots, and they know it over an extended period, maybe for a, a season of ministry. And and when that happens, then you see, and you hinted at this, it's not just that one man and one congregation is blessed, but you walk through a town that used to be utterly godless, and the people have started talking to each other about Christ and salvation and, and what it means to follow God. And so it's not just amongst God's people in a church or a service, but the glory of Christ is seen and the power of God is known and the converting and sanctifying influences of the spirit roll out and whole communities are transformed, sometimes for a generation or two. And and really, you know, I, I think we'd say if we're if we're Christians, if we're preachers, Lord, I'd take any or all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me just one sermon. But but wouldn't it be wonderful to have a whole season or a man who knows like Charles Spurgeon, who knows something of that kind of blessing for perhaps decades at a time. And there's a transformative effect in and from the church that leavens the society around it. Mm. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. This is Jeremy Walker. You've been listening to. Uh, he's written a, a documentary and he presents it uh, called Revival, the Work of God. And he just finished telling us about a revival that took place when in Scotland, Jeremy? Uh, in Scotland in the year 1630 at a place called Kirkershots. Jeremy, last fall I spent two weeks in England. Normally, when I'm in England, I would be around just Christians for the most part. This time, though, Over the course of that two weeks, I was around a number of non-Christians, and it really dawned on me for the first time how un-Christian the UK is. Now, I see that in my own country, the United States. I see that when I'm in Canada. Is there any hope that we can still have pockets of revival that will have this ripple effect that you were describing for us just a moment ago? Or do you think we as Christians maybe have given up at this point? That's a great question, Charles. Um, While God is on his throne, there is hope. (laughs) Revival Mm -hmm. comes from God and God who reigns eternally, Christ enthroned in the highest place, the Holy Spirit, who I think it's important to remember that the Holy Spirit is with his people. Uh, we, We mustn't so emphasize revival as if to suggest that the Holy Spirit is not, and then he is, or that he's not with us, and then he comes. It's an intensification. It's a particular heightened time of the operations of the Holy Spirit. And because we have God as our Father, because we have Christ as our Savior, because we have the Spirit 
as our helper, it is right and proper that we should anticipate that in accordance with the promises of God, we will go on seeing the progress of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Now, what's quite interesting, if you look at the history of revivals, is that very often God is pleased, it seems, to work particularly in the darkest and most difficult of times. Mm. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's as if those are the very moments when a display of his power most emphasizes that this is God who is at work and not something that man can whip up or work up. So we're not then just merely passive, sitting on our hands and hoping that maybe sometime God will do something. Because the Lord has told us, go and preach. The Lord has put mm -hmm. the means of grace in our hands and he has said, you do what I command you and the blessing is mine to give. And so it is all the more important that in such times and seasons as these, we go and make Christ known, that we go on using the ordinary means of grace, but pleading with God to give an extraordinary measure of blessing. And there are wonderful histories then. I think of something like George Whitfield, the evangelical revival of the 18th century. And he would have been a peer in that sense of Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening. Ed Whitfield had a part in that as well. And these were times and seasons when everything seemed hopeless, dark and empty. And that's when God raised up instruments to employ for his glory. Or you see these times, the uh, this sometimes called the prayer revival. And it's almost as if from from the, the New York prayer revivals, you can almost see the, the wave coming across the Atlantic. And it sweeps through Northern Ireland and it sweeps through Wales and it arrives in London in the 1850s with Charles Spurgeon. And these are times, these are places where there, there is great opposition and there is great need, but there is also great blessing. So, yes. Always hope because God is God. What a great story that you shared in Revival. Let's take another story maybe in Scotland. Tell me the story of the revival that broke out in a young man's church who had left the church and he missed the revival when it started. I think you're referring to uh, that man of God, Robert Murray McChain. Yes, that's right. There's a lovely connection here with some of the things we've already been talking about. So over in a town in Scotland called Kilsyth, uh, there is a pastor and a preacher called William Hamilton Burns. Now, William Hamilton Burns has been a faithful pastor and preacher, but has not seen a great deal of conversion, uh, has not seen any great stirring of God's people. But he's been laying the kindling by that faithful ministry in one place over years. Mm -hmm. And then his his son comes his son comes back, William Chalmers Burns. Now, William Chalmers Burns was eventually going to be a missionary in China. Mm. He also knew Robert Murray McChain, and he had been preaching in Dundee for uh, Robert Murray McChain. Now, McChain had, uh, it was a young man. His health was suffering in part because of his labors. And McChain was already known as a man of unusual godliness and of, of fervency in preaching and in prayer. And so often these men who are, worked, who are used in revival, they're not just preachers, they are prayers. And that's where they're, they're calling upon the Lord to bless. Now, McChain has gone to Palestine, to Israel. 
Uh, he's had to take a, a tour over there. I think there was both a concern for his health and also a desire to undertake a, a mission to the Jews. So all of that was wrapped up. Now, William Chalmers Burns, he is uh, the son of William Hamilton Burns. He goes back to Kilsyth, and when he preaches, the Lord sends fire in the kindling that his father had laid. Mm. It's that William Chalmers Burns who preaches in Dundee. What's striking about Robert Murray McChain is that he being absent from his people, is pleading, pleading, pleading. He records it in his diaries in and his letters. diary, yes. Pleading with God to send a blessing upon his beloved people in his absence. And the Lord does that through William Chalmers Burns. And here's the mark of Robert Murray with chain. He doesn't resent it. He's not bitter. Mm. He rejoices. Mm. God has blessed. And with that humility, he comes back and the same kind of power that he had known perhaps in his own soul before and that has been poured out through the ministry of William Chalmers Burns characterizes McChain's ministry at the same time. So there's this wonderful drawing together of all these threads and, and an acknowledgement that it's God in his majesty who is at work. And then he died as a very young man too. I, I, th I think if I remember correctly, McChain was called home at the age of 29 he only had a, a few years of ministry, none of this going till he was in his 70s or 80s or whatever. The Lord called him home, and yet the Lord used him in mighty ways in a very short period of time. Yeah, and McChain is interesting because he has two statements that he makes, and I think it's worth putting these side by side with one another. Fairly early on in his ministry, he says something like this, that as the oil in the lamps of the temple was consumed in the giving off of light, so must we be. So that's a man consecrated to the service of his God. Toward the end of his life, he says something slightly different, a different kind of wisdom. I think both are wise statements, but he says something like this, that the Lord gave me a message to take and a horse to carry it. And the horse has been broken. Who now will carry the message? So he recognizes toward the end of his life that he may have overexerted himself. I don't think he in one sense regrets that, but he recognizes that he would rather burn on than burn out. And so you have some men and, and it's as if they expire in service. They are used up in a brief moment of endeavor to the praise of the glory of God. And there are other men who have these long and fruitful ministries. And McChain is one of those who who gives his all. And, and the mm. Lord is pleased to employ mm. him and then to call him home. Mm. What a great story that is. Jeremy, there's a word that's kept coming up. And I know in my own life, when I've seen any flicker of a flame of revival, it's always born out of prayer. Mm. Give me another example where it goes back to prayer leading to revival. God, because he is God, full of mercy and kindness, can give revival where we're not looking for it or expecting it. Mm -hmm. But very often, and, and this again is, is typical, before God gives such blessing, he gives his people a, a desire for it. Before God draws near in that way, he stirs up a spirit of prayer in the saints. 
So very often in the history of revival, you will find that what happens first is is people become uh, troubled, distressed by the dullness, the staleness of of spiritual life generally, or the state of their community or their nation, and they begin pleading with God for his blessings. And so, for example, uh, you find um, in, in sometimes called the, the prayer revival from the 1850s into the the early 1860s, uh, a man called Jeremiah Lanfear begins to call prayer meetings in New York in a place called Fulton Street. And people start flocking to these and they're pleading with God for a blessing. And people are, are, are being stirred up and even converted during those prayer meetings. Or you, you look at some of Spurgeon's uh, calls to prayer. 1859 so it's part of that same work and and he's talking about the prayer meetings that they had on monday night at the metropolitan tabernacle and how people are wrestling with god and he's saying surely god will send the blessing when he stirred us up to pray in this way and then uh, more recently on the isle of lewis uh, and sometimes people romanticize this and it's it's not always helpful but there were two aged ladies on the isle of lewis called peggy and christine smith one of them was blind. One of them had crippling arthritis. And sometimes they're isolated as if they were the only people who are concerned about this. But if mm -hmm. you speak to the Christians on the Isle of Lewis, they will say that actually they were representative of what was going on among God's people at the time. So there's this stirring. God was at work to bring a sense of conviction of sin, a need of his mercy, a desire for his blessing. And so you have people like Peggy and Christine Smith. And there's a, a sort of a fairly famous story that is told about them talking to their, their minister, a man called Mr. Mackay. Uh, and apparently uh, this lady, Peggy Smith, said in, in Gaelic, because that's all they spoke. You've tried mission. You've tried special evangelists. Mr. Mackay, have you tried God? And, and <laughs> but, but that was that was characteristic of the of the people of god there and, and and there was this sense of need of hanging upon the lord for a blessing uh, and so sometimes not denying it sometimes god in answer to the faithful prayers of one pleader or a small group of concerned christians yes he can do mighty things but what you will often see as you've said charles is that the precursor to revival is God stirring his people to pray. And he gives the blessing in answer to the very prayers which he has been pleased to stir up. And that goes all the way back to the upper room, which we've also talked about leading to Pentecost. Praying to the Lord, they're calling upon his name, and it, it is at that moment that the Holy Spirit is poured out. One other area that I'd like to talk about I long for revival in my own heart. Hmm. Do you long for revival in your heart? Are you praying for revival in your church that you pastor? We live in an hour where it almost seems revival is impossible today. And yet we believe God is still on his throne. God is still in control. The spirit is still at work. He's worked in my heart. He's worked in your heart. Where are we today? How should I be thinking? How should I be praying today as a follower of Jesus? I think you're absolutely right, Charles, to say that it's got to begin with my own soul. Um, 
there's a danger either that as Christians we think the problem is with other Christians or that as churches we think that the problem is with the world actually I need to begin with my own heart and again I think it's important to understand that I cannot demand but I can plead I cannot create but I can ask I can wait on the Lord and I think it's really important sometimes that that biblical language of waiting on the Lord implies to us a kind of helpless passivity but to wait on the Lord is an expectant watching mm. we're, we're looking to him to work in accordance with his promises now I think if we understand it correctly asking God to revive his church is a dangerous thing to ask Hmm. I, I think we often imagine that revival is just the the end of all our problems. It's when everything gets good and easy and clear and straightforward. But actually, very often, those seasons of reviving are associated with great spiritual conflict, yes. with real difficulty. Very often, the first thing that happens when when a minister starts preaching with that kind of power is that half the congregation realizes that they were never Christians to begin with. <laughs> and, and even those who are, are humbled afresh before God, because when, when God draws near, how can we not see again a sense of our own sinfulness and our own neediness before him? So you think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. What happens when he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple? His first response is not to say, this is great. Now everything's going to be fine. But rather, I'm a sinful man. I have sinful lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And he's afraid. The first thing that happens to us is that we ourselves are brought to a more complete sense of our need of a savior and our dependence upon God. So, yeah, I need to plead for that. But I recognize that really under such circumstances battle is joined and where god works in that way one of the things that you also see is is that the adversary is stirred up to oppose and assault so we love to talk about george whitfield preaching and and loads of people are converted mm -hmm. uh, do we remember that people would would throw dead animals and rotten fruit and rocks at him uh, there's a there's a story of a he was actually a, a Wesleyan preacher, uh, one of Wesley's men in in Ireland. His name was Gideon Oosley. And when Oosley went to preach in, uh, in, in a Catholic area, if I remember correctly, he would ask uh, who was the most important and wealthy uh, merchant in that community. And then he would stand in front of his shop windows to preach. The reason mm. being that that was a way that he could more or less guarantee that they would only throw soft things at him for fear of damaging the building and the windows behind. Now that's, you know, that's, there, there's some heavenly wisdom there, but the sense of the kind of issues and, and you read some of the, the, the stories of the Welsh revival and there are men who are being stoned and run out of town and beaten and people creeping into their rooms at night and men whose minds and bodies are broken because of the antagonism to the preaching of the gospel. So 
absolutely, we must be pleading, but let's be realistic about this. We will need to be stirred, woken, humbled. If God is pleased to give this to us, it will not be easy, but it will be glorious. And if we think that the result of pleading for revival is an easy life, then we have another thing coming because mm. that's the point at which we will understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Uh, and I still long for it, but I, I, there's, I, th I hope a holy fear that if, if God were to answer my prayers to make me holy, that that i must be brought lower before i am raised higher but if god is going to stir his church then there are hard lessons for us to learn and that if we are to preach the gospel with power then like the apostles who turned the world upside down we will see glorious conquests by the power of god through christ jesus and we will face great hardships because it has always been the case that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven I find that encouraging. Jeremy Walker, thank you for joining me. I think we should pray. Would you lead us in prayer? Would you pray for yourself? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for everyone who's joined us? Pray for revival that we can be part of, that God would use us in some tiny way for his great kingdom in where we live today. O God, most high and most holy, who dwells in light unapproachable and full of glory, there is no God like you. You are the, the fear of Isaac. You are the, the God of the patriarchs. You are the sender of the prophets. You are the God and Father of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. By your mighty spirit, O oh God, you have always been pleased to open the eyes of the blind, to give life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And you who are the giver of life must also be the sustainer and the stirrer of life. For without you, O oh God, we can do nothing. We see the, the trouble, the persecution and the tribulation that there is in the world around us. We see much of darkness, much of misery, much of perversion. We mourn over the sinfulness of our own souls, over the weakness of the church of Jesus Christ, over the little impact that we seem to have in our own families, amongst our neighbors, in our communities. We preach what feel like toothless sermons. We speak to those who are outside and they seem to scorn us and shrug us off. Lord God, for your glory's sake, draw near and bless your people. Show us your majesty. Show us your beauty. Make your face to shine upon us, we pray, in Christ Jesus, that the light of the knowledge of the glory that belongs to you in the face of Jesus Christ may be seen and known again in your church. Lord God, we confess our sins before you. Each one of us have so many individually. When we think of the churches to which we belong, how can we not, O oh God, mourn over our coldness, our dullness, and our dryness? O oh God, for your glory's sake, have mercy. We have no righteousness of our own to plead, but you have promised, because of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
that you will not leave us or forsake us. And as you were pleased to grant your Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as you were pleased again and again to fill your servants with the Spirit of God, so fill us now, O Lord. Root out everything that offends, take away our transgressions, wash us again in the blood of Jesus Christ, we plead, and by your Spirit clothe us with power from on high, that your servants may preach as they have never preached before, that your truth may run swiftly and be glorified, that the Christ being exalted may draw many to himself. Lord God, have mercy upon your people who hear. Grant us ears to hear, we pray. Show us our sin. Draw us ever closer to you. Stir us so that we pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling because you are at work in us, both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Make us to shine, O God, as lights in the dark sky, burning and shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Make your church like a city that is on a hill. Make the light shine so that it cannot be hidden. Make us salty saints so that we have an impact on the world around us. Oh God, draw us heavenward. Come near to us, we pray, and use us for your honour and your glory. May the name of Jesus Christ be honoured amongst us. May it be that Christ becomes ever more clear to us and precious for us. Do it here, O oh God, in the southeast of England. Do it in Crawley. Do it in your servant as I plead with you now. Do it for, for Charles and for those who are listening even now, Heavenly Father, that by your grace and for your glory, we might know these blessings in our souls and that therefore mm. we ourselves being mm. refreshed and renewed and revived in the truth of the scriptures, in the glorious things of the gospel, and in the pursuit of godliness, in the fear of the Lord, that we ourselves, knowing and serving and speaking of Jesus Christ, we may ourselves be lifted up, and that then, O oh God, we would speak easily and readily to others of the beauties and the glories that belong to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to number out your praises who have called us out of darkness into your marvellous light. Do not leave us to ourselves. Do not leave us trusting in our own power and wisdom, O God Most High, but for your name's sake, bless us. Look upon us in that mercy, that goodness, that loving kindness which belong to you alone and favour us once more, O God. We cry out to you, not because we are worthy. We do not plead our own righteous deeds, but for your sake, for your glory, for, your, for the honour of your name. Lord, smile upon your people once again and make your name great in all the earth. For we ask it through Christ our Saviour. Amen. Amen. What a delight, and I might say a sobering delight. Jeremy Walker pastor in England. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for Revival, the Work of God, a DVD, which we'll tell people about. It's been both a pleasure and a privilege, Charles. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to thank Jeremy Walker for joining us today. 
And I want to just mention that before I had even heard of the revival taking place in Wilmore, Kentucky, our team had already planned to offer Jeremy's great documentary called Revival, The Work of God. It's a look at the spiritual awakenings that have taken place from Pentecost to present day. And the Lord's timing couldn't have been better. To be inspired by the revivals that have come before us and look forward to revivals to come. I want you to head over to haventoday.org and get your copy of this documentary. And then if you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Give us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.